Hello, and welcome to Objective Health, another exciting episode. I am your host, Doug, and with me from our virtual studio are Erica and Elliot. Hello. Hi. And with us in the background, as always, is Damien. Hello. So, today we are trying uh, a new format. Well, it's not really a new format. We used to do this uh, periodically when we were doing um, our audio-only uh, broadcasts. And we called it Connecting the Dots. And it was basically just our opportunity to kind of go through the news, um, look at some of the headlines, and comment on them. Um, we're just going to call it, because Connecting the Dots is too long a title for YouTube, we decided to call it uh, In the News or ITN. So this is the first of our ITN episodes on, um, on YouTube. Um, so yeah, today we're going to be, we've seen a couple of things in the news that we wanted to kind of talk about. Uh, we're going to be talking about fluoridation of water. We're going to be talking about big tech censorship. And we're going to be talking about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, and there's a few other things we might talk about as well, given how much time we have. We'll see how, how much we have to say. But um, maybe we'll start off with water fluoridation. So there was a Washington Post article um, recently um, that was talking about a study out of Canada um, that suggests that mothers who drink fluoridated tap water when they're pregnant get children with lower IQs. Now, this isn't the first time, <coughs> excuse me, that this information has come out. They've been talking about fluoride lowering the IQ of children for a very long time. Um, and, you know, I don't know exactly how long, but it seems, seems to me it's been like a decade or something like that. Um, but this one was a, a relatively high-profile study. Um, I think because, yeah, I might be wrong about this, but I think it's because they had some government funding or something along those lines. Um, but one of the things that's notable is that a, it's being reported on in the Washington Post, which is a mainstream publication who usually wouldn't touch the idea that fluoride had any kind of negative impact whatsoever. Um, you know, that's generally considered tinfoil hat conspiracy theory kind of stuff. So we thought it was worth talking about for that reason in particular. Um, for those who don't know, uh, I know some of our European uh, viewers might not um, be fully aware of this, but uh, many municipalities in the U.S. and in Canada um, do put fluoride into the drinking water, into the tap water. Um, and the idea is that it will um, help your teeth, um, help you from uh, developing cavities, help with dental health in general. Um, and, you know, there is, I mean, there is evidence for that. There is evidence that by putting fluoride into the, the water, it does actually help with teeth. And topical treatments as well of fluoride have been shown to help with, you know, rotting your teeth. But usually the reason that people are objecting to this is because there isn't a lot of research on the harmful effects of drinking fluoride. You know, it's one thing <clears throat> to topically put fluoride onto your teeth. Okay, people aren't swallowing it. Swallowing it, the exposure is relatively low. Um, but when you're drinking it all the time, I mean, that's essentially mass medicating the population without any consent. And there's no way of um, controlling for exposure. 
you know, if one person drinks three liters of water today, they're getting a heck of a lot more fluoride than somebody who's only drinking a liter or only drinking for like 500 mils because they're drinking soda and, you know, root beer, all that kind of stuff. So <clears throat> there's a lot of, I think, very reasonable objections to the fluoridation thing, um, particularly because we really don't know everything that it's actually doing to people. Well, and, you know, this whole idea of fluoride being beneficial for the teeth is one thing. The other thing that's not shared a lot is that it is a byproduct of phosphate fertilization production. <clears throat> and if you read about what happens when they make this phosphate and this chemical byproduct that is a result, it's pretty staggering. I mean, uh, fluoridealert.org has been carrying information on the negative aspects of fluoride for over 20 years because I had children who are now in their 20s and fluoridation was recommended and I was reading about this back then. So it is extremely toxic and part of the reason why you know, it's kind of a tinfoil hat conspiracy theory or people share it as that is because, you know, they say, well, there's no science to prove that this is bad or it could make people dumb or any of that. But if you actually look into the documentation about this process that they use to make phosphate fertilizer, it's really, really disturbing. I mean, just in the 60s, it poisoned thousands of animals, um, crops, and, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency has paid out hundreds of thousands of dollars in damages for uh, the phosphate industry's, you know, yeah. production of this fluoride. So, uh, you know, in the past it was said, well, what are we going to do with this stuff? We got to find something to make it into so it's not such a huge loss, right? So the EPA is not continuing to pay out. Um, you know, these big sums for this crop loss or animal loss. And I just have a quote here um, from an EPA official that expressed um, concerns about it. And he said, basically, if this stuff gets out in the air, it's a pollutant. If it gets into the water, it's a pollutant. If it gets into a lake, it's a pollutant. But if it goes right into your drinking system, it's not a pollutant. That's amazing. Yeah. There's got to be a better way to manage this stuff. And so, I mean, there is endless documentation about how this can kill you, you know? Yeah. I mean, if it's killing animals at an alarming rate that are in the general vicinity of where these phosphate plants are creating it, then there's some serious concerns, but they don't want to look at that. They want to find a way to make money off of it. And mm. um, that, to me, is enough of a reason to not support it. Uh, another interesting thing, again, people in Europe might not know this, but in the U.S., all military bases, U U.S. military bases have fluoridated water. Mm. So, you know, that's concerning because mm. there's been, you know, uh, people have said that it causes um, you to be, what, like a zombie or easily yeah. mined or uh, manipulated. It's also used a lot in the U.S. in frozen foods. So it's added to chicken, ice cream. You know what I mean? So it's not just necessarily in the water. 
And it's not just in the US and Canada as well. Actually, there's parts of the UK. There's a very small kind of area uh, where the UK um, councils, the government actually fluoridate. Unfortunately, the small village that I grew up in and I lived in for 17 years was one of the only places that was fluoridated. Um, And it's interesting to see that the condition dental fluorosis, which is actually um, characterized by kind of teeth, which start to go see-through, develop cracks and white streaks kind of thing. Um, That seemed to be more common in where I lived previously than than elsewhere that I've been to in the local area. Um, So that's just a little anecdote there. But yeah, so fluoride is is an interesting kind of uh, mineral. It's present in very small amounts. Like naturally, you would it would be impossible to find any water um, source without minor or m- very trace amounts of, of fluoride in. Mm. Um, some natural water supplies will have more in than others. Um, but again, it's it's very 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 small quantities, um, and. It can be toxic. It's particularly toxic to the to the nervous system, the central nervous system. Um, and I think that people who have like acute toxicities, um, they can die from all kinds of effects, how, how it's basically causing dysfunction in the brain, in the brainstem and everything like that. Um, but it, it can also dysregulate like how the body utilizes calcium and if i remember correctly it can contribute to things like arterial calcification um calcific tendonitis frozen shoulder syndrome calcification of organs and and parts of the brain i think that the pineal gland can be partially calcified when when it's exposed to high levels of fluoride um and so it's it's not necessarily something that is just safe and benign. And you made a really good point, Doug, in that if if we look at the very high-dose fluoride toothpastes, in the UK at least, um, some of those are actually on prescription hmm. and they will be prescribed in a very kind of specific case. Um, and it's not something that you can necessarily just go over and buy over the counter you know, the really high level ones, it's like, well, actually, you're going to get doctor's advice to get that. <clears throat> and I think that's because it's quite well established that actually this stuff is really quite toxic if you swallow it. Um, so we have that on the one hand, but then we have this like this mass medicalization or this mass kind of prescription almost. It's like they decide, OK, everyone needs that and there's no informed consent there. They don't ask, you know, you don't go to your doctor. You don't, um, you're not informed that you are taking a, a, a mineral that has potentially neurotoxic um, capacity and which um, is ordinarily only found in very, very, very small amounts in the water supply. You, you, you're essentially participating in a, in a big experiment. And whilst there may be research showing that it might help with teeth uh, help with maintaining enamel and structure and density and that kind of thing. Um, from what I know is before they started putting this into the water, I don't think there were any long-term studies mm. like on a, on a population scale. 
long-term, you know, um, studies with with any significant number of people with the amount of fluoride that they are putting into the water. Um, I don't know of any. I could be wrong. I could be mistaken, and there may be some. But from all of the things that I've read about it in the past, I haven't come across anything that can categorically say that putting fluoride in the water is a safe thing. Yeah. And yet it's the arrogance and the kind of hubris on the part of, of, of um, the legislators to go ahead and do it anyway. Again, kind of similar story as always is that, okay, we'll kind of discount the, the long-term health and the potential risks involved with this and we'll just go the financially, um, the, the financially attractive route, let's yeah. say. Right. It's it, and and that really is, I think, basically the entire <clears throat> um, motivation for doing it. Um, it it was you know basically like Erica was saying, it's like they had this toxic waste product that they didn't know what to do with. It's kind of like <clears throat> if you like had a nuclear power plant, and it's like you had all this toxic waste building up, and you're like, we don't know what to do with this. Uh, why don't we start putting it in the food? Yeah, good idea. Let's put it in the food. We'll tell people that it makes them smarter. Okay, yeah, let's do that good and we'll sell it to them at a at a good price so we'll make some money off it too so basically now they have not you know they're, they're essentially like scraping the smokestacks of these fertilizer plants taking that waste product selling it to the municipalities to then put into their water it's really ridiculous when you look at it like that but um you know hey uh if there's a chance that it might keep some kids from getting if they, to make it so kids can keep on eating candy and garbage and not get cavities, then, well, it's all worth it, isn't it? <laughs> no. I think you're muted. Well, it's you're muted. <laughs> yeah, I'm muted. No, I was just <laughs> going to say, that's the narrative, right? That's the narrative. It's that they care so much about children's dental health mm. that they will take this risk, you know, that they will, they will go ahead and, and this, is the, this is the incentive. That is complete and utter nonsense because if they genuinely cared about children's dental health, then wouldn't we be more focused on actually getting to the root cause of what is causing the cavitations in the first place? What is causing the poor dental health in the first place? Because it's, you know, it's, it's not, um, you know, it's well known that this is dietary related. These people say that they're doing it for the kids, but that's just BS. It's <laughs> like they need BS. to get rid of this toxic waste. They're just going to, push some narrative on the on the population and everyone accepts it when actually you know if they really cared then we would be looking at, at all of the other factors yeah. that come into play with dental health and they don't do that yeah. they do the opposite of that well and these are organizations that allegedly are looking out for the benefits of children like the american academy of pediatrics you know mm. they basically say you know, it prevents tooth decay. It's been incredibly protective and, um, and it re reduces the prevalence of cavities by about one fourth. And then the CDC comes in, of course, and mm. says that's the Center of Disease Control and Prevention. And they consider water fluoridation one of the top 10 health achievements of the past century on par with vaccines and anti-smoking campaigns. Well, so you can there you go, a trifecta. <laughs> yeah, I agree with them there, you know. <laughs> the most, yeah.
Yeah, it's kind of crazy. So... But I, I just want to say that I do, with both of you, I agree that, that it's interesting that the Washington Post put this out and that they the focus was pregnant women and IQ, you know what I mean? As opposed to all the other things that they could have came out about it that, you know, because everyone's concerned that their child is not going to perform the best, <laughs> but yeah. it, it's just bizarre. I, you almost wonder, it's like, is this from the onion? Is this real? Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, uh, we could move on to our, our next news item. So there was a, um, an article, the organic consumers organization. Sorry. Let me just, uh, I wasn't prepared. I didn't pull it up yet. Um, and it was, uh, it was, it was a letter to the, um, organic, uh, consumers association. That's what it was. Um, and the name of the article is Ter Terrifying Techno-Fascist Acts Against Health Freedom You'll Probably Never Learn About. And, okay, that's a bit of a sensational title, but <laughs> it's basically focusing in on the latest push by social media and um, the tech giants to censor health news. Um, just uh, recently... Um, relatively recently anyway, um, Google changed its uh, search algorithm, which, um, you know, they do periodically. And, and I know people who are really into the search engine optimization really kind of freak out every time Google changes its search algorithm because, uh, you know, they can really affect people's traffic. Um, you know, where your website is coming up on Google searches can pretty much determine whether you sink or swim as far as your your um, business goes. But um, in their latest, um, or it might not be their latest, but the most, you know, a recent change that they did, they basically started pushing out a lot of different health sites, alternative health websites. So some of those include um, Honey Colony, Green Med Info, Dr. Axe, Aaron Elizabeth of HealthNet News, Self Hacked, and Dr. Mercola is probably the biggest name on there. So Mercola.com was one of them. Um, so basically, it's like big tech is collaborating with big pharma to suppress free speech, essentially. Um, you know, if you want information that is a little bit off the beaten path, that's not the same big pharma approved um, health information, you're now going to have to search kind of high and low for it. Like, if you don't already know about Mercola.com, chances of you finding it in a Google search are very low. Like, very low. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like, well, you know, they're a private company. They have the right to do this. But the fact of the matter is, is they kind of have a monopoly going on here. And for them to be uh, pushing out this information, they are essentially controlling how people think. Like, what information you are allowed to have access to. Um, I mean, everybody kind of has their own personal thing that they're interested in. So if people, I mean, people who aren't interested in health probably aren't going to be watching this show. But even if you're not interested in health, I mean, this goes across like all kinds of different spectrums. Like there's different, different ways that they're tweaking their algorithms. So, you know, you're not getting the political commentary that you're looking for, or you're not getting information about, I don't know, go-kart racing 
that you're looking for. Like there's any number of things where they can be they can be steering um, the the information that you actually get access to. Well, we really saw this starting to happen with the vaccine thing, with um, the, you know, kind of scrubbing of content. I think even Amazon joined in and now Mm -hmm. Venmo um, with not being able to put up videos that question vaccines. Yeah. And just as you're saying, Facebook. Yeah. So it's it's not really that surprising, but how they're doing it is really nefarious. Yeah. And the other thing is, too, is that Google's parent company is Alphabet, and they actually own pharmaceutical subsidiaries. Um, in 2013, to, excuse me, Google founded Calico, um, who, which was run by Arthur Levinson, who's a former CEO of the biotechnology corporation Genetech. Um, and Calico's mission is to understand biology that controls lifespans and treat age-related diseases. Um, anyway, they, I, it's going into like a whole bunch of, of different like levels of what Alphabet actually owns and stuff. But the, the, the long and the short of it is that they are partnered with pharmaceutical corporations. It is in their best interest to put pharmaceutical solutions to any kind of disease state or uh, condition um, because then they will make more money. So that's in their best interest. Alternative solutions that don't doesn't funnel money into the pockets of uh, the you know GlaxoSmithKline or whoever Pfizer, Merck, like that. It's not in their interest to offer people alternatives. Of course not, and especially someone like Mercola who has been rallying against this for you know, almost since the dawn of the internet, right? He was the first one. And I mean, you got to give it to him. The guy is frankly spot on about a lot of things, you know, and he's, he's done a great service to many people uh, who, who are given some drug or they are told that there's nothing they can do about their health condition. Then they go on Google. And one of the first, first things that pops up when they type in alternatives to this treatment, alternatives or natural treatments for this, you know, Mercola would come on top. And chances mm-hmm. are he's got one or a couple of articles about it yeah. telling you about the dangers that you should look out for and what you can potentially do, which is evidence-based. You know, it's very much evidence-based. So this guy isn't like a kook, you know, he, like a lot of the stuff is good quality content. But of mm-hmm. course, this is not... Um, you know, this is this is not conducive uh, to um, big pharma, to their aims, to to what they want to achieve. And you know, if Google are hand in hand with them, I mean, I remember reading through those statistics. I think that Mercola says that um, after this change happened with the algorithms, his traffic went down by ninety nine percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that that's, is insane. That's a- yeah, yeah. And and he was also saying that, like, previously, if you would type in, let's say, psoriasis, you type in psoriasis, Mercola, then it would come up with all of the different articles and resources that he had compiled on that topic. Whereas now, apparently, just by putting Mercola, it it doesn't funnel you through to his website as it would before. You actually have to be very specific and put Mercola.com. Because if you miss out the .com, then it kind of 
draws you away on on some other tangent kind of thing um and it's yeah it's very unfortunate that this monopoly is kind of its tentacles have grown so far now that mm. i mean f- for the majority of people who are interested in alternative health you know each of us probably has their own news sources that you know where to go to they haven't shut down the website so that's okay for people like us but i mean quite frankly for anyone looking to you know who's still within that bubble and tries to step outside of it they've just made it a thousand times harder yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean essentially like back in the day google's algorithm was all based on what was considered authoritative by the number of hits that it got the number of keywords um you know how many other sites were were linking to that site. So if you if you had a site, if you had an article about a certain like you know health condition or something like that, that um, a lot of other internet sites were linking to as a reference, and you know you had all the keywords in there and everything, you would get a pretty high Google ranking. Like you would probably be on the, you'd be on the first page probably, and like you know maybe even number one in the search results for it. But it's like none of that stuff actually matters anymore. I mean that is the stuff that would actually lead a person to find what they're looking for, you know, and now they're not actually interested in what the person is looking for. They're interested in showing them what they consider to be the most authoritative source or what they consider to be um, not fake news or whatever the case may be. It's the acceptable um, content. So they're no longer like facilitating a person finding what they want to find. They are specifically directing them on what they want them to find. Mm-hmm. It's like impression management on yeah. a mass scale, but with every single possible topic that you can conceptualize. Yeah. Um, I mean, such. I mean, it's an amazing feat that they've even managed to do that. But it's pretty incredible in a dystopian nightmare way. Yeah. <laughs> in a dystopian nightmare. Yeah. The consequences. Unfortunately, the average person has to deal with those consequences. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one thing for, uh, you know, a newspaper or something like that, um, or a news broadcast to, you know, be particular about what they're reporting and deciding what they will report and what not that they don't report. Like people understand when they go to a news source that that news source has a bias or that news source um, has a particular slant. They're going to be a little bit more left wing or a little bit more right wing, whatever the case may be. But when you use a search engine that's supposed to be just innocuous, it's supposed to be just helping you to find what you're looking for. And it's not anymore. And in fact, it's more, it, it has more of a slant to it than even a, a, a news, uh, newspaper or something like that, I would argue anyway. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a scary new world, actually. Well, and weren't they even saying in the article about how before, you know, people who had degrees or had written academic papers or had some actual documented data and evidence behind what they were researching were presented and now just anyone willy-nilly can write stuff and they don't have to have any sort of background or academic um, research behind what they're saying. So it's just kind of like, it becomes you've got 
people like Dr. Mercola is a good example. He always lists all his references and uh, mm-hmm. information. And now you can get people going on there saying, what are you talking about? Fluoride's good. And then write a whole article about it, but have no sort of reference or <laughs> documentation. Yeah. So just making those claims. And especially if you're new to this whole health paradigm shift, you know, that you're starting to question things, you can get really lost in all of the nonsense. And uh, especially with moms or parents, you know, they don't have hours a day to sort through information. They want to find something quickly and that's helpful. And it, it really, I think, is targeting, especially with the vaccine topic, is targeting people that are looking for good, solid information to make health decisions for their family that could have very long term effects. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Well, well, I think that was quite a good um, bridge mm. there, Erica. <laughs> Building them as opposed to tearing them down. <laughs> yeah, but the, the bridge on to the next topic, perhaps. Take it away. Right, yeah, so... Um, Came across one other article in um, in the news this week or last week, and it was basically um, I haven't got it up here. Let me find it. It's basically detailing um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So he's um, over the past couple of decades, he's been very outspoken on the topic of vaccine safety, and he is time and time again presented rational, logical, um, kind of um, responsible viewpoints and statements about vaccines. You know, he, he will openly say in public that he is not anti-vaccine. He is just pro-science. He is pro-safety. Um, he has been lobbying time and time again for <clears throat> for more research, more science to be done on the topic of vaccines, on the topic of vaccine safety, um, and has basically just been just been an advocate um, and has been kind of standing up to Big Farm all along. And um, there's an article titled, Americans Can Handle an Open Discussion About Vaccines, RFK Jr.'s Response to Criticism from His Family That Politico Would Not Publish. So basically... Um, was it three of his family members have kind of openly criticized um, RFK Jr.? And have, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So they basically says, you know, like, um, I haven't got the quotes, but my impression is that they've said that this guy is like a quack. You know, you need to... Um, discount what he's saying about vaccines vaccines are safe you know this this is basically just anti-vaxxer nonsense uh, which is the typical kind of narrative that you get from from anyone that's the kind of backlash whenever you um ask a just a a rational question about vaccine safety the immediate response that you will get from the critics is you're an anti-vaxxer you know um anti-science blah 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 so um so he actually posted 
like a, a letter or as a response, right? An article as, as a response. And there's this, uh, is it a magazine called Politico? It's quite a well-known magazine in the US. Um, and there were three attempts by, um, there were three attempts to have this response published and uh, they were declined on all fronts. And when you read through the article, the, the points that Kennedy makes, um, you know, very cogent. He makes a, a coherent argument. And um, I think that anyone reading this article would, would be much more likely to come around to his viewpoint. And I think that that's one of the reasons why this magazine has, has not published it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of really disingenuous of them too, to publish the article with the three um, three of his family members criticizing his views and not allow him to respond. Like kind of taking a look at his response and being like, oh, no, this isn't really what we want to have in our magazine. So, no, we're not going to publish the response. Like how – that's just shitty. You know what? It's like <laughs> we're going to let we're gonna let this person come on here and criticize the hell out of you, <clears throat> and we're not going to let you respond. We're not interested in what you have to say. We're only interested in one side of this discussion. Thank you very much. I mean, it's just it it just goes along with what we were previously talking about about you know big tech censoring. I mean, it's like on a, a, a smaller level, political magazine. Just uh, no, screw you. We we don't we don't want you to have the other side of the story. We only want you to to hear the smear. Well, it's interesting too about so it's his family members that actually wrote the article in Politico, and the kind of summary under the caption or the title and I know it was up there a minute ago says we love Robert F Kennedy Jr but he is part of a misinformation campaign that's having heartbreaking and deadly consequences and then uh, for our listeners and viewers you can see um, in in the political article there the their backgrounds so Kathleen Kennedy Townsend is for former Lieutenant Governor of Maryland and former chair of the Global Virus Network. Joseph P. Kennedy is former Congress member of Massachusetts, chairman of president of Citizens Energy Corporation. And then Maeve Kennedy McKean is executive director of Georgetown University's Global Health Initiatives. So is this a family issue or is this a, you know, funding what are they doing? What's the, you know what I mean? Cause blood they, is not thicker than water apparently <laughs> or money or money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is that people, people should actually read um, RFK's response because it's like Elliot was saying, it is, it is cogent. It is backed up. It is, it's hard to read that and actually refute it you know, point by point. Yeah. And the, the fact of the matter is he makes such a good argument. You know, it's, it, it's a lengthy article, but it's not, it's not so long that it's unwieldy and it's definitely worth a read. There was a couple of real bombshells he dropped in there. We were just talking about them before the show. One where he's talking about particularly the social media kind of um, uh, censorship. Uh, I'll just read this quote here. He says, mainstream and social media outlets, which collectively received $9.6 billion in revenues from pharmaceutical companies in 2016, have convinced themselves they are protecting public health by aggressively censoring criticism of these coercively mandated, zero liability, and untested pharmaceutical products. 
He's talking about vaccines, of course. But the absence of press scrutiny leaves industry no incentive to improve vaccine safety. Muzzling discussions of government corruption and deficient safety science and abolishing vaccine injuries by fiat is not a strategy that will solve the growing chronic disease epidemic. Boom. Mic drop. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's. I would definitely recommend the listeners to, to check out that article because... Um, it is just packed full of multiple different arguments for why people should really be questioning this stuff. Like he just makes some very basic points. Um, you know, he's, he's talking about the, the governing agencies or the bodies that basically um, tell everyone, tell the public at large that these things are, are completely safe and that we should be having, you know, what is it like? 56 shots before we're 13 years old or whatever. Um, you know, he, he points out that the FDA, um, they receive 45% of their annual budget from private sources. So that C- is CDC, isn't it? No, that's, that's, that's the, the FDA. FDA? This, yeah, that's the FDA. That's the FDA. Whereas the CDC, no, the who, gets roughly half of its budget from private sources, including pharma and its allied foundations. Okay, so you've got the FDA, you've got the WHO, and then you've got the CDC. And he makes a really funny comment. I never really thought about it like this. But he says, and the CDC, frankly, is a vaccine company. It owns 56 patents and buys and distributes $4.6 billion in vaccines annually through the Vaccines for Children program, which is over 40% of its total budget. Furthermore, pharma directly funds, populates, and controls dozens of CDC programs. So it's like, okay, so we're meant to trust these, these agencies, these organizations, and yet most of them get you know, roughly half of their funding from companies like, you know, uh, big, massive big pharma companies. So it's like there's without doubt a conflict of interest right there. And when you have it laid out for you like that, it would make perfect sense why these, um, why these agencies are, are so flippant about the vaccine kind of thing, you know, and how they're so dismissive against anyone who even raises the slightest question. Because in fact, if they were to really genuinely investigate vaccine safety, then they would potentially be losing half of their budget. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and well, then, and he, sorry, go ahead, Erica. Oh, I was just going to say, he talks in there about how vaccines are basically liability free and effectively compulsory to a captive market of 76 million children. And so these are companies like Merck, GlaxoSmithKline, Sanf, and Pfizer. And then he writes how these four companies that make virtually all the recommended vaccines are all convicted felons. They've yeah. collectively paid over $35 billion, with a B, since 2009 for defrauding regulators, lying to and bribing government officials and physicians, falsifying science, and leaving a trail of injuries and deaths from products that they knew to be dangerous and sold under the pretense of safety and efficacy. So he says, doesn't it kind of require cognitive dissonance to believe that vaccines are untainted by greed? negligence and corruption that bedevil every other pharmaceutical product yeah (laughs) i see why they didn't want to 
publish that. That, that I mean, that's just so scathing right there. They're like, no, yeah. can't do that. <laughs> well, I wonder if politi- like how much Politico gets from in advertising revenue from pharmaceutical companies. It might be as blatant as that. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, oh, no, we can't publish this. Um, our, our pharmaceutical uh, advertisers will, will pull out. We can't do it. Yeah, but that, like we were saying, I said before the show, that demonstrates just a whole nother level of kind of nastiness, you know, of, of real, the real scumbags, these people, they're spineless. And, and I wonder whether the editor who decide, who, who made that decision, whether they allow their children to have vaccines. I would mm. really be interested to know that because, um, you know, there's one thing being kind of believing what you're told and then kind of going along with that. But there's another thing, consciously looking at both arguments, seeing that one argument is just so thorough and evidence-based and makes so much sense, and then still choosing to, um, you know, not to publish that. People don't need to know about that because there might be some financial uh, gain from not doing that. You know, there's just a... It's, it's a conscious thing, you know, it, it seems like it's a conscious thing and that's what makes it really, you know, dirty almost. Yeah. Yeah. Evil. Yeah, very much evil. Anyway, people should really go check out that, um, that article. We'll link it down below in the description. Um, well, moving on here, I'm just kind of looking through the other things that we we're going to talk about. Um, what do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I guess... Um, oh, wait there. Sorry. Before we get on to that one, mm. Doug, there's just one more thing that kind of ties into this, which is corrupt agencies. Um, corrupt agencies basically... Um, you know, making decisions and lying to the public, probably for financial gain. Uh, there was one article which did come out a uh, couple weeks ago, actually, almost two weeks ago. That was called EPA defies California rules over Monsanto Roundup, mm-hmm. still insists the herbicide is safe. So uh, if any of you have been living on planet Earth the past <laughs> couple couple months, then you will have seen that Monsanto have had to pay out or are potentially going to have to be paying out a lot of money i don't know if they paid out money but basically they've been like convicted or charged and um and yeah so so that is for the ties between the glyphosate herbicide otherwise known as roundup um and and various types of cancer there was non-hodgkin's lymphoma but i believe that there's many other different types of cancer and there's like a couple thousand people now who are trying to sue monsanto because they've been given some issue there um and uh, and so yeah, basically in California, um, not long ago, I think it was past couple of years. I think we covered it on the show. There was something called the Proposition sixty five, which was like a new legislation which came out, and it's a list with the um, with the acceptable quantities of chemicals that are allowed in um, any product. So, for instance, if it's something that you might come into contact with, like a herbicide, or if it's a supplement, if it's a type of food. If it's uh, anything with ingredients which could potentially be problematic, then as part of that proposition, um, you legally need to list that on your um, 
on your product. So for instance, if you were producing a, a supplement and it contained um, levels of lead, which were higher than what that legislation or that list kind of found acceptable, then you would have to state that it contained dangerous levels of lead on that supplement. All right. So um, according to Proposition 65, if you look at glyphosate, glyphosate is considered by that proposition to be cancer causing. Okay. And so legally in California, um, it would be so that Monsanto on, on the roundup, um, on the roundup bottle, they would legally have to identify this is, this is probably carcinogenic to humans, blah, 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 blah. But then you've got the EPA. So this is the environmental protection agency. Um, they have basically, uh, it says the U.S. EPA has defied California regulators by no longer approving labels claiming Monsanto Roundup is known to cause cancer. So according to this California proposition, the on the labels of Monsanto Roundup, you need to say that it causes cancer, whereas the EPA has basically said, well, no, actually, we don't agree with that. Um, we don't think that there's enough evidence. So they've come up with this extensive kind of, they've done this review, their own professionals, their scientists have reviewed the evidence on glyphosate and have said, well, actually, we don't think that it causes cancer. So we're not going to accept any of the labels um, that that says that there is a potential risk. And the reason that, they're, that they've done this is they've said that the, um, the EPA action rejects the idea that the weed killer is likely to pose a risk um, despite rulings against Bayer-owned Monsanto in California earlier this year. They basically said, I can't find the quote, but basically, yeah, they, they've said something like, we don't agree um, that we should be misleading the public. We don't think that, it, that labeling this as carcinogenic is correct. And therefore, we're actually going to, um, we're, we're, we're going to um, yeah, disagree with that and actually uh, stop them from labeling that. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's it's not really surprising considering how in bed um, the EPA is with Monsanto, Bayer. Well, <clears throat> Monsanto before it was Bayer, but now Monsanto Bayer. Um, when the uh, Monsanto papers came out, and unfortunately I forget the name of the journalist who um, was instrumental in kind of exposing a lot of what um, Monsanto had done but when those uh, Monsanto papers came out, if any of the viewers want to just look up the Monsanto papers and, uh, you know, get some popcorn because it's it's really kind of mind-blowing. But what they, um, the connections between the EPA and Monsanto is just unbelievable. It's like they are so in bed together that I don't know how they can, like, it's like they have no shame that they can just kind of step forward and uh, and be... Um, so blatant about like, you know, it's basically like saying, well, this is my best friend and I'm not going to let you say anything bad about my best friend. So no, you're not allowed to put that label on your thing. You know, and, and like, you know, even though the, this California body has done its research and said, no, we're, we're, you have to say that this is a carcinogen. They're like, no, we did our own study and it's better. So no, you don't get to, you don't get to say that on your label. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable.
It's unbelievable, too, because these cases that are, are being filed against Monsanto are happening in the state of California. So it's not like they're, you know, in Minnesota or something. I mean, most of these cases, and well, there's a uh, 1,290 lawsuits pending in just San Francisco alone, right? So, I mean what a better way for damage to control than to just be like, nope, we're not going to do it. And um, the late, the uh, journalist that you were talking about, uh, Doug is um, her last name is Gilliam. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And she wrote a book about it too called whitewashed. Um, And there, yeah. I mean, gosh, it's just like straight out of some sort of, uh, you know, John Grisham novel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's crazy. What I don't understand is how they, how they can deny that it's a, even just a possible carcinogen because, because there's lawsuits where Monsanto are having to pay out like millions Mm-hmm. Why would why would they be paying out millions if there was no link with the case? Surely, if there was no link with cancer, then they wouldn't have to pay out millions in lawsuits. You know, it's it's just so transparent. You know, it's so see through. It's like you'd think that they would be able to do better than that at, at, at hiding their kind of direct connections that they're in bed with Monsanto. It's mm. it's like they don't even care. It's like they don't even try to. No. You know, that's the sad thing. That's it seems like they don't even try to hide it because they know that basically they're above the law and they don't really have to answer to anyone. They can yeah. just get away with doing whatever they want to do. Well the other thing that's crazy about it too is that the um there was an article in Salon that I think Davian just had up a second ago where it's talking about how corporations are legally allowed to put carcinogens in into the, into products, um, and the, not have to report about it because mm-hmm. of the whole corporate personhood thing, and that that interferes with the corporation's freedom of speech or freedom not to speak, which is you know it's just so mind blowing. Like the whole. We could do an entire show on corporate personhood and the fact that corporations have um, have rights under under the law um, as if they were actual people. Like you know, a, a corporation has freedom of speech. Have you ever heard a corporation speak? It's a fictional entity. Yeah. It doesn't have a mouth. It doesn't speak. It's unbelievable. But they, you know, because they're it, you know, by them saying like you know, Cheerios or whatever that has like ridiculous amounts of glyphosate found in it. Um, they don't have to tell people, their customers, that there's glyphosate found in it, um, that their product is toxic, um, because that would interfere with their freedom of speech. They have the right to say what they want about their product. It's like... When before they were doing that, they were just saying it's proprietary information, that you know they don't have to share it. So now that's kind of been it's reworked to favor them. You know what I mean? Now, now, you know, these proprietary ingredients or inert ingredients are causing cancers and people want to know why. Well, now we'll just call them a, a personhood and then we'll move on to the next 
kind of damage control strategy. I mean, they're they're notorious for ghostwriting articles, hiring yeah. trolls. I mean, they've gone through every dirty tactic that they possibly can through the history of this company. And then I think the idea of selling to Bayer was like, oh, well, we'll just we'll eliminate the negative connotation to the word Monsanto. But if anyone does any background research on Bayer, they're equally as yeah. disgusting of a company yeah. yeah and and that book you mentioned by it's carrie gilliam um damien had the image up there thank you damien um uh if, if you want to read about the insane level of manipulation that monsanto has gone through i would read carrie gilliam's book because it's it, it is really like the intimidation of journalists and scientists and it's just it, it'll it'll blow your mind they are the most evil company on the face of the planet, I'm pretty sure. Along with GlaxoSmith and Klein. Well, I mean, there's Pfizer. lots of bad ones out there. Nestle. <laughs> we, could, we could start a list. <laughs> uh, yeah, whitewash. But good on her for sticking through it and really yeah. being a messenger to the people of like, look, this is how they do it. And, and, and this is what you need to watch out for. And maybe that's why we all are so skeptical here on the Objective Health Show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're coming up on our time here. We covered a few good ones. We didn't get to everything we wanted to again. So maybe, uh, Maybe we'll we'll have to do another one of these um, in the news shows in the future. Um, but we do have a pet health segment from Zoya today, and she's going to be talking about handedness of cats and dogs, like whether they're left-handed or right-handed. I totally didn't know that was a thing. And welcome to the pet health segment of the Objective Health Program. 10% of humans are left-handed, but what about animals? So this time we are going to explore how apes, cats and even kangaroos might have handedness. Watch the following video to learn more about it and don't forget that there is a cute and funny video in the end. Have an awesome time everyone and goodbye. Handedness is a universal human trait. Some people prefer the left hand, some the right and some are ambidextrous and can use both. But what about your dog? Can it be left pawed? Hey, left-handed mice users, I'm Jules here for DNews. Human-handedness is influenced by a huge number of genes and environmental factors. That being said, a consistent 10% of the human population is left-hand dominant. So there's definitely a big genetic component. A study in PLOS Genetics identified a gene, PCSK6, which helps determine how the body organizes itself in early development and correlated it with hand dominance. But if handedness is genetic, shouldn't we see it throughout the rest of the natural world too? Well, it is seen in some animals. 
For example, great apes have handedness. It's been detailed in studies published in behavioral brain research and animal cognition. Scientists have theorized one of the influencing factors of hand dominance is rooted in the language processing part of the brain. But it could also have been passed down by our ancestors thanks to the use of our tools. The studies on great apes found that they used different hands for different activities. They preferred their right hand for inanimate targets, like sticks or toys. But for grooming, they didn't report any dominance at all. Researchers believe this may be due to which hemisphere of the brain is being used. Grooming is emotional and social, while grabbing sticks is for purely functional purposes. 70% of chimps are right-handed for functional tasks, like manipulating a tool, or hilariously, which hand they choose when they throw feces at researchers. MRI scans, again, showed it was probably due to brain hemispheres. Evolutionarily, scientists believe this preference for one hand may have appeared even before chimps and humans split from their common ancestor, as the scans showed similar structures in our own brains. Some enterprising researchers found Similar brain structures towards handedness exists in cats, but with a twist, they're sex-specific. When cats went to play with toys or remove food from jars, they found that females preferred to use their right paw, while males went left. Cat brains have this weird specialization too. Dogs, on the other paw, don't seem to have this brain specialization. A 2006 study in behavioral processes found no population-level preference for a dominant hand, but that it might just be split 50-50. Scientists haven't just studied our fur babies, though. Kangaroos were discovered to be hand-specific. Weirdly, most of them are lefties. And frogs were found to prefer the right foot for some tasks. Fish prefer one eye to the other when spotting predators, and even some birds, like chickens and pigeons, have brain-level hemisphere specializations for some visual tasks. But overall, quadruped animals aren't often studied for handedness. One, because they don't really have hands, and two, because they're usually walking on all of their limbs. That's obviously a weird thing to think about. But handedness is kind of weird anyway. Even though we've identified some genes involved, geneticists don't agree on the exact process of how it happens. So we don't really know where it comes from. It just is. And overall, as usual, more research is needed. Oh, that was great. <laughs> I'm going to go check my cats now to see if they're left-handed or right-handed. I definitely have right-handed dogs. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah? They steal the food with their right hand every time. I've never <laughs> thought to check which hand they're using. That's, uh, that's interesting. Okay, well, that is our show for today. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Um, make sure to click like and subscribe below if you're so inclined. Um, join us next week. We will have another fascinating topic to discuss, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>